Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Hello and welcome to Knowledge is Powder, the Ski Podcast. This podcast is hosted by me, Jim Duncan, and him, Ian Martin. Coming up in the podcast today, we will be looking at where you can ski over the off-season. I'll be reporting from Courteray, and Ian takes a ride in a peace basher. Hi, Ian, you all right? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, you know, end of the season, it's 28th of April, but, uh, you know, I was looking at the webcams the other day, plenty of snow out there. Yeah, there's time we'll talk about that in a minute, I expect. Um, just a quick one. You know, I said last week that um, I'd, I'd never been to Listex because I'd never been invited. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I got invited just based on talking about it on this podcast. Who'd have thought? Well, um, so based on that, I'm going to say, do you know what, Ian? I've never been invited to New York. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, good. Right, that's <laughs> next week, Listex, isn't it? I look forward to hearing what you think about it. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm just going to the press bits. Um, that's good. Um, and also, picking up from last week, we talked about um, doing a road trip around the snow centres. Uh, yes. Um, so I put it into um, the, the Google, and it says it would take hour, 8 hours and 13 minutes to go from the one in Glasgow down to Hemel Hempstead, taking in all of the indoor snow zones. Yeah. Uh, and the Glasgow one opens at 7... Uh, sorry, Hemel opens at 7 a.m. Yeah. And Glasgow... Sh- um, 10 p.m. So that you know you've got 15 hours to do an eight-hour road trip with an hour skiing in each. I think it's possible. Okay. Well, I I look forward to hearing your report on that one as well. Yep. Well, I'm just I'm just racking them up, Ian. <laughs> just uh, seeing what we're going to do. Um, do you want to come with me? Uh, yeah. You know we could make that happen. Yeah. All right. We, we will do it over the summer. Um, a nice trip. Um, and um, I hear Ian. You think fondue's making a comeback? Is that right? Well, allegedly, Vondu's making a comeback. Obviously, I'm stuck in that echo chamber in The Guardian, which is where I saw this article. But, um, yeah. Because yeah, in the Daily Mail, they hate the fondue. Yeah, they hate it. They hate it. It's foreign, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but allegedly, the, <clears throat> the the kind of set of, I guess, a bowl that you can burn cheese in and uh, some metal sticks that you can, you can use to dip uh, bread into your melted cheese are coming back and sales are going up. Uh, and for me, that was always about. Um, did you ever read Asterix in Switzerland? Uh, no, I didn't. Well, you really need to get that on your reading list because there's a, uh, a an excellent uh, scene in there when Asterix goes to Geneva and all of the Romans uh, are playing a game of uh, fondue. And if you lose in the fondue, then you have to take a forfeit. Oh yeah, you play that standardly in. Like when you, anytime you eat fondue, but I think the fondue, the the forfeit the Asterix probably took is probably different to, to uh, drinking a glass of wine out of a shoe. Yeah, I think the Romans actually whipping themselves. It was very um, bacchanalian, 
uh, very educational. But allegedly, Bondu is making a uh, a comeback, which I don't know. What about you? How are you with uh, lots of melted cheese? I mean, I, I personally love a fondue. Um, and about, I think about three months ago, we had um, we got the fondue kit out. We've got one wooden sticks and we made a proper fondue. Um, yeah, we even ordered the Kirsch online. We got all the right cheeses. It wasn't just one of nasty packs. It was really, really good. I was very proud of myself. Okay. Um, so for me, I don't, I don't think fondue's ever gone away. Well, according to um, an Oxford professor, it's actually um, Brexit, which is driving up sales. And... Oh, that was an advert coming up. And and also North Korea. Um, he thinks the threat of <laughs> the threat of nuclear war is uh, increasing the dish's popularity. So presumably now we've got this uh, uh, entente and peace, uh, fondue sales will go through the floor. So what you're saying, Ian, is it's people are panic buying fondue yeah. kits. Yeah. Do you think it, it's a, like a comfort food fondue? Um. I don't think it's a comfort food. There's nothing comfortable about it after you've eaten it. It's pretty heavy in the uh, stomach. Um, maybe a maybe um, raclette is a better option. Um, yeah, that is comfort food. A nice slice of hot cheese on a bit of bread or potatoes. Or Yeah, you're right. That's more comforting. So nuclear holocaust, it's uh, raclette. That's what you want to get. Yeah, it's so... You could eat, you know, put the cheese on the um, uh, fallout. <laughs> Well, cook it for you, right? Okay. <laughs> Let's move on, yeah. shall we? <laughs> this is the Knowledge's Powder podcast. And if you want to get in touch with the show, you can email us at the ski podcast at gmail.com or tweet us at the ski podcast. And if you want to look at stuff on Facebook, we're there. Just give us a search. But don't forget, share us with your mates. They'd love to hear everything about the show. Okay, so the summer, um, well, the winter season is over and the summer is starting, but that doesn't mean you can stop skiing at all. There's loads of opportunities to still get your ski fix. I know Ian said last time that he wasn't probably going to look for a ski fix this summer, but you never know. He might change his mind. So, Ian, what have you got? What Where would you suggest first up? Well, first up, they're, they're kind of regular uh, uh, choices, which is um, Buzalp, you know, opens every summer. I think this year they open on the 22nd of June, the glacier. Um, represents you know some pretty good skiing with actually some decent vertical drop a little bit of off-piste up there you don't you're not just stuck on a glacier with loads of racers practicing uh, gates there is a little bit of a, a variety there and so and I've skied there in summer before so I know what it's like uh, so I'm a big fan of uh, a does out and then you can go mountain biking as well if you want to or trail running if that's your thing or even if you're not really into that they've got electric mountain bikes there so it's um you know there's plenty of other options okay i like this one here i've got um there's um opportunities to go skiing in yeah. norway um there are a few resorts that are specifically open yeah. for the summer um and don't open in the winter and um the one i like the look of i've never been um is the strin summer ski which is open only june to july but it looks absolutely stunning. There's um, It's into a valley. At the bottom, there's this giant turquoise, beautiful lake that if you want, you can try and skim across and see how far you get. Um, there's, they claim there's a board park. I've looked at it. I'd say it's about two kickers and a rail. But for an adventure, I'd say, why not try Norway? Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw that one recently. It was a brilliant, brilliant photo uh, on social. One of those of a car driving through uh, a road cut through the ice. Did you see that one at all? 
I shared that uh, one and challenged people to try and identify where it was. And obviously we got the Japan thing, but it was actually in a Fauna Glacier in Norway. But yeah, there are plenty of snow up there. I think I'd have to, yeah. I know it's a, it sounds a prosaic because I selected um, Dizelle before, but you've got to mention um, Val d'Isere because um, back when we were doing the April Fools, I think that was the last episode, we talked about how um, Les Arc had they done a press release saying, oh, we're going to open, there's so much snow, we're going to open in uh, summer. And uh, there was one by Latania saying Courcheval was going to open in the summer. And those are actual April Fools. So if, if Val d'Isere had done this press release on the 1st of April, as opposed to the 24th, we probably would have thought it was an April Fool. But Val d'Isere have announced that because there's so much snow, they, they do open in the summer for glacier skiing, but they're actually going to open a couple of the regular pistes uh, on the starting from the 3rd of June. So the resort closes on the 3rd of May. And on the 3rd of June, they're opening up a, a couple of the pieces there. And, you know, you'll be able to, snow conditions permitting, you'll be able to uh, to ski them. And that will give them the time to uh, clear the road at the, at the top of the uh, Col de Lizaran, uh, which is where your normal glacier skiing is uh, around the uh, Pizé uh, Glacier. Ah, interesting. I always thought summer skiing in um, Val d'Isere was like some sort of rumour that it never really happened. Because obviously teen definitely does, but I always thought Val d'Isere yeah. summer skiing was a bit of a rumour. I think the area they're going to open, isn't it like the Ladai area? They're going to It's going to be the funicular and yeah. down that area, I think that's what they're going to open in June. Yeah, you go up, up from the funicular and there are two runs open, the, uh, the, the OK World Cup downhill and the Vert, which... I don't know that one, but there's something in the name that makes me think it's probably a green. Possibly, yeah. And that um, that OK World Cup orange one is an amazing run, actually. I'd say it was one of my favourites. Right. Well, um, you know, that's their that's their plan. They'll open those for two weeks and get the and then the snow uh, clearing teams can uh, can sort out that road, which is the highest paved road in Europe and very popular with cyclists in the summer. So what about this of an option, isn't it? A camper van, I'm not saying you and me, but a camper van around New Zealand taking in um, lots of different ski resorts for the summer. How about that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, New Zealand's a fantastic uh, uh, country to to go touring in. I, I have skied in New Zealand uh, in the, off Queenstown, so I went to the Remarkables and Coronet Peak. And... You know, they were. They, it wasn't the best conditions uh, when I was there, and they have, uh, you know, less predictable weather conditions. But they've got a lot of great areas uh, down there. You could spend, you know, three months starting from the the bottom of the North Island, which is where I think Ruapehu and those areas are of um, volcanic skiing, and then get down to um, Queenstown, and then over to Wanaka and. Uh, and ski treble cone as well, which I, I think is the one that I missed out on. I, I really would have loved to have done that. Yeah, my advice would be if you've got the time, spend it on Mount Ruapehu, where and the season really? is okay. the season is really long, um, and it's the biggest ski area. So combined, it's something like um, I mean, compared to like the three valleys, it's small, but it's still like uh, nearly a um, hundred kilometres a piece um, in that area. Um, and yeah. then if you're in the South Island. You know, Mount Hut's a good place to go. It's really popular and it's got the good facilities, but it's really, really busy. So I would suggest if you go in that area, Mount Dobson is a better option. Um, also, the guy that hires the boots out um, looks exactly like Peter Jackson. I mean, he might have... Uh, could, could, he, could he be Peter Jackson? <clears throat> I was too embarrassed to ask. <laughs> I should have done, shouldn't I? Yeah. I was too busy trying to put my rear entry boots in that were frozen solid. Um 
And what else have you got in? Any more suggestions? Uh, well, obviously, there are lots of um, different uh, glaciers uh, through Europe, and we've mentioned the Southern Hemisphere. Um, you know, I've never been to uh, to Argentina or Chile. Uh, I think that would be uh, that would be pretty interesting. Maybe maybe if you've if you've uh, just uh, I don't know suddenly uh, won the lottery or something like that, and maybe a heli skiing in Patagonia. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think if you're going to go to Chile, um, you want to go to Val uh, Nevado. Um, that's like the most modern one, um, and it's more the most European. The rest are a bit more adventure skiing, I think. I would say, um, and I just I go for a quick shout out for um, the the Sasfe Glacier. I quite like Sasfe in the summer. Yep. It's, there's loads to do. Um, it's one of the, le- the the shorter commutes, like. If you go to um, Zermatt, that's uh, the lifts up to the glaciers. Quite a long time, isn't it? Right. Okay. Yeah. Whereas with Sasfe is a bit shorter, so you know you don't have to yeah, get up quite so Sasfe in the summer. But I do know that the British team uh, skiing, uh, the freestyle team, spend quite a bit of time training there in the summer. So um, they go there because it's it's typically reliable. Although you know what we're hoping is that I mean last summer was exceptionally hot. I know there's a you know there's a huge snowpack. Uh, just now but have you did you notice that um this week in Courcheval they have started uh what you might call snow farming and on their stad the MLLA uh, race stadium just above Courcheval 1850 they've put um like a, a layer of sawdust and then a layer of um I don't actually know what it is but it looked like a kind of plastic covering on top of that to try and preserve the snowpack so it's there for the beginning of next season yeah i did see that i like the fact it's called snow farming as well i think that's a, a really good name for it yeah maybe maybe they should um, also go around filling up um, everyone's um, unused um, freezer compartments in their little fridges in all the apartments um and just build it up too. <laughs> it's an interesting it's not my idea that's a rubbish idea but yeah snow farming is an interesting thing maybe we should do um a further in-depth look at okay that. yeah so there we go. That's um, some ideas for you if you're thinking about getting some winter or some summer skiing in. There's loads of options for you um, for rich or poor people. Also, um, Scotland's um, a few places there have extended their season this year, but um, that's not a regular thing that happens. Have you got any reviews, Ian? Uh, I haven't got any reviews actually. The last time I looked, there weren't any new ones. So come on, everyone, give us a give us a review on uh, on iTunes. Oh, there is well, there was oh. one um, uh, on the Knowledge Is Powder Facebook right. page, um, and it was from Scott Starr. I think you must have replied to him, and it says really interesting viewpoint on the sport. He's from America, and he says it's very different than the Pacific Northwest ski bum culture. Um, I'm not sure if he's suggesting that we are ski bums. I think we're ski professionals. Uh, we? I think I'd like to think so. I've done my, <laughs> I mean, even when I was, at, I'm not a pro yeah. skier. I'm just a even ski when I was a ski bum, I was uh, I was uh, still working. But it's uh, you know, it's a good title. Maybe that's what uh, uh, they call it. But yeah, good feedback from the from the from our friends on the other side of the pond, and and uh, yeah, separated by a common language maybe that's the issue there maybe ski bum does mean ski professional okay now i went to quarter radio the week and here's my report i hadn't planned to head to quarter radio skiing in mid-april 
if I'm honest, I didn't really know much about it. Despite Ian mentioning it in an earlier podcast, but I don't normally listen. Circumstance had sent me and my family to this resort in the French Pyrenees. Our requirements were that it had to be open for skiing. And as Cauteray holds the record for the most snow on its slopes and has the longest season in the Pyrenees, it ticked many boxes. So that's why we headed there. As we drove into resort, we realised this wasn't a place that felt like a, a normal ski resort. If it wasn't for the cable car and the numerous ski hire shops that littered the town, you'd probably think you were just in a normal, classic, beautiful French town. Once we settled in and accomplished the usual ski-based admin, we toured the town and readied ourselves for the first day on the slopes. So to reach the ski area, you need to take a 15-minute cable car from the town. Um, once you arrive, it's uh, you arrive into this main station. It houses um, a restaurant, a bar, a ski school, well, all, both, all the ski schools, um, the toilets, there's a paper-hour nursery there, there's a play area and a picnic room. As you exit the cable car, you come round onto a balcony and from that terrace, you can see a full view of the ski area. Well, you would if it wasn't snowing, as it was with us. And despite being spring, it would take two days before I got to take in the full view. So, I'm going to let Vincent from the tourist office describe the ski area. Uh, the skiing like uh, in Cotre is, uh, first of all, skiing for almost something like five uh, months uh, a season, starting from the end of November until the end of April. So, we are in, on Eastern holidays and we are still skiing, and we ski for this season until the 22 of April. So, it's quite good, and the skiing in Cotre is skiing on uh, very fresh snow and very strong snow conditions because it's a uh, mountain circus and um, the, the fact is the slopes and ski area is very snowy so we register the large uh, snowfalls every every winter and that's uh, in the fact uh, the, the point on, on the on which we are very famous on because you held the record or something is that right we had it in on 2013 uh, and 2014 but every yes every winter we we re-rank on the best uh, snowfalls and all the best snow levels Wow. <laughs> and um, how big is the ski area? The, big, uh, the ski area is uh, 40 kilometers of skis uh, for alpine ski. And then we have also another site, which is a Nordic site, which is named the Pont d'Espagne. It's a ski resort just close between the village and the Spanish border. And uh, it's, a, it's a national park of Pyrenees. And people just enjoy this site to make cross-country skiing or sledge or alpinism uh, skiing. So it's very different and very... Uh, complete for a stay from the village you can enjoy alpine, um, alpine skiing snowboarding and then nordic or every kind of activities uh, on the snow so every skis is uh, available on up on the mountain you'll notice um, when you look out that there are a selection of runs but interestingly enough there is a lot of areas for people to learn to ski a lot of covered lifts I asked uh, Vincent why this was. Uh, it's because we invested on the on new carpets, beginner carpets. So we just uh, moved on the the former skis and we replaced it by a new carpets with uh, uh, covered carpets. So it, which is very uh, very easy for the people, for the families and the kids to to take and to start. So it's going easier for for them to to start skiing. So that's the the, the main investment we we've done for the five years. And then uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, very normal because we are a large village. Uh, Cotteri is a small city. Uh, we can 
a shelter, something like 20,000 people for a week long. So it's very, very large. And then we have lots of families spending, uh, spending holidays in, uh, in Cotet. So families means uh, beginners and beginners means carpets now. I want to say, I mean, it is a fantastic resort for families, but there were some really good um, black and red runs there to challenge really good skiers. Um, so don't be put off by the fact that, you know, it seems like a family place. There's a, there's an awful lot of really good terrain there. Now, being the sort of lazy person I am, I didn't do any research into the history, but it's a good job I'm out with Vincent because I asked him and he explained it all. Um, so we're sat in the almost the centre of the town, and it's full of old, beautiful French buildings. Yeah. What's the history behind this place? Yeah, it's because it's not you. You don't have to expect good chalets like uh, in the Alps, so it's very different. And in the Pyrenees, uh, Cotre has uh, over uh, ski resorts or village. Uh, Born, born uh, as born with the spa activities, you know, the thermal spa. And uh, so the villages and the, the buildings are very typical from the Belle Epoque uh, period. So everything is classified. The, the, the buildings are very cozy and very uh, stylish. And um, the fact is, yes, it's something very different. And something means we uh, put you in a, in a special mood, in a, you know, in a Belle Epoque mood. Just uh, the, uh, the, 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 the art of the Pyrenees. Yeah, you're right, because when we arrived, me and my wife were in a very good mood. When we saw the place, we were like, this is beautiful. Yes, yes, sure. Very happy. Um, I also know it's a spa town. Mm-hmm. What, it. what does that mean? A spa town is because we, um, lots of people just enjoy you know, the natural uh, springs, hot springs, uh, for, for, the, for health treatment or enjoying spa. For wellness, so we have two centers: one dedicated for the treatment or the medical treatments, and another one which is more for spa and wellness. So we it's named the Bain du Rocher. So we just use the natural water, hot water, which is at 38 degrees Celsius degrees, and uh, people enjoy and relax in two baths, uh, enjoying the, this uh, natural water in the Bain du Rocher, which is just at the center of the village and just at the bottom of the, the hotels. So you can go skiing and then in the That's afternoon it. you can relax in the That's our tricks and the, our difference is the ski and spa. So Ski and spa. Yes, we can, we can combine in every Pyrenean cities or every Pyrenean village, ski and spa. Now I didn't want to miss out on an opportunity to try ski and spa and you know what, I'm going to recommend it to everyone. This beats hot tub and skiing any day. My wife even said that it's a game changer for where she wants to go skiing in future. It must have a natural spa. The Banda Rocher is is set in an old building. Um, You can spa inside or outside. It's full of bubbles and fun. Our children enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. And there was saunas and steam rooms. It was an absolute perfect way to relax after a day of skiing. Now, you have a long season, longer than the other Pyrenees resorts. You said it was about snowfall. Is there anything else you do to manage the snow to make it last longer? Uh, it's uh, because of the, the natural the physiognomy of the, the slopes and the area. It's, it's a mountain circus. So mountain circus means the good snow and good uh, uh, temperatures. So it's low for the, the, the team to, to captain, to manage the a good level of snow so it's very it's a bit colder and that's a good point for for the snow so i want to say um i was quite surprised by the pyrenees i've never been i'd never really thought about it much but i was really surprised and i'm going to explore it more 
um, over the next few years. So I'm really glad I went and I'm excited about the fact that um, I don't feel so snobby about the Pyrenees anymore. Huge thanks to Vincent for his time. And um, yeah, if you get a chance, head to the Pyrenees and check out Corsaray. I mean, as you heard there, Ian, that was a, a great place for a ski trip. And I know you've been. One thing I want to say that I didn't say in the report um, was I really loved the toilets. <laughs> and um, this is obviously very male focused. I do apologise. I haven't seen the female toilets. But um, the men's urinals, above the urinals, there was a big shelf for you to put your helmet and your gloves and stuff for when you go to the toilet. That is really handy. Right. That is that's thinking about everything, isn't it? Yeah, that is thinking about anything. Um, and you obviously enjoy Cotteraian. Yeah, I will definitely. In fact, we were just discussing whether we might uh, go back there for a family trip uh, next winter. Probably combine it with uh, with another resort. Um, but yeah, you know, I was a big fan of Cotteraian, and I definitely um, will go back there again. Particularly, you know, for for me, I'd really like to get out into the uh, Pont d'Espan uh, area a bit more and have another look at that. Uh, okay, so I, w- I was out in uh, Courcheval uh, just uh, earlier this month, and I had the opportunity to uh, interview uh, a guy called Antoine uh, Motillon, and uh, the- he really is a very inspiring uh, guy. He works, uh, drives a piece basher, does a, uh, a shift uh, from 2am to 9.30am like everyone uh, else on the team. But the major significant difference between Antoine and and everyone else, he is a paraplegic. And uh, when he's not in the Peace Basher, he is in a wheelchair. Um, And so I uh, was very interested to hear about that. And I uh, interviewed him. And uh, so I started off by uh, just asking him what he did um, or how he got the idea, you know, of just becoming a, a, a snow broomer or Peace Basher driver. Uh, in the first place, and uh, this is in French. Uh, I'll translate this. En fait, c'était un rêve d'enfant. Oui. As well as being a snow groomer driver, he is a, a pilot of uh, gliders and he became an instructor. And it was when he was flying over the mountain near Pralu and he saw the groomers, it reminded him of, uh, of the fact that, you know, when he was younger, he always had that idea of being a, a, a peace basher driver. And then um, what happened after that? is um he ended up uh, getting in contact with the uh, the manufacturer Caspora and uh, Caspora you know were very enthusiastic about the concept of being able to uh, you know adapt one of their uh, machines uh, so that it would be possible for uh, um you know someone who doesn't have use of their legs to be able to drive it and they thought it was feasible uh, in principle and they took him along to a uh, an expo to just happen actually called Mountain Planet happens down in Grenoble where all of the uh, French resorts uh, go and that's where he met the uh, team from Courcheval and uh, just play a piece uh, about Est-ce que ça se passe avec Caspora? Ça s'est très bien passé, ils ont dès la première rencontre, ils m'ont tout de suite dit que ça les a um, actually, he was talking there about how the job is very different from uh, from uh, other jobs. Uh, but um, he had actually done a trial with uh, Courcheval for six weeks, and they decided uh, that it was going to work. And uh, they had to adapt the machine uh, slightly. So his job is, you know, very, very. It's exactly the same as everyone else who's working on the machines. But in his particular machine itself, instead of a steering wheel, 
they have he has sticks on the left hand side which allows him to uh, change the direction forward back uh, left or right and with the accelerator on the right hand side is controlled by hand as well uh, instead of a foot accelerator which is actually still fitted in the vehicle because he shares that vehicle with someone else who drives it on the other shift which is um i think from 5 p.m to 1 a.m or something like that um the other significant difference with how the vehicle has been set up is that uh, there's a hydraulic uh, attachment on the outside that uh, comes around and allows him to get in and out of the cab and down into uh, into his uh, uh, into his uh, uh, wheelchair again uh, and all of that cost about 100,000 uh, euros to do that uh, uh, adaptation uh, but you know he loves that job you know he's outside throughout the night everyone else is asleep he's out there and he sees uh you know incredible things on the mountain when he talks about it he's clearly very inspired by the uh the job itself um and you know so i asked him uh, about that and you know what what other potential there might be the travail uh c'est c'est concours c'est très différent des autres métiers ouais ouais alors c'est c'est complètement différent parce que des gens travaillent la nuit Basically, he's saying, you know, the best thing for him about that uh, job itself is he does exactly the same work as the other drivers. Um, and, you know, it's it's a quality. But what you know really appeals to him is the fact that he's able to forget about being a, a handicapped, you know, while he is driving. Because, you know, when he's back in the station, you know, he is in a, in a wheelchair. But in the machine, he's just like everyone else. And, you know, it was a real pleasure to meet uh, Antoine. And I was very impressed with Courcheval, who, who made this investment. And as far as uh, he knows, and uh, also met the uh, the head of S3V, as far as they know, he is the only uh, disabled or paraplegic uh, driver of a peace basher, certainly in France and probably uh, in the world. And, um, you know, they're hoping that maybe other people will be able, uh, you know, maybe if someone has an accident, who's already a driver or someone who has had an accident could take that job as well. So, you know, great work uh, by Cole Cheval and a really inspiring story. Yeah, totally. Um, well done, Cole Cheval. And, you know, who can blame him? What a job. It's, you know, I think I would like that job. <laughs> well, you'd have to get used to, you know, those night hours. Uh, you know, if, if you could, like he starts at 2.30 a.m. and goes through to 9.30 a.m. And the last kind of half an hour or three quarters of an hour is actually back in the garage he has to refuel the vehicle um you know get it ready for the uh, for the next guy um but you know they work on different pieces and as he said you just see some amazing things see some incredible sunrises lots of animals uh, you know out and out on the slopes i did ask him if he'd seen any wolves but uh, sadly or not he hasn't oh, disappointing um and what i find amazing is i saw you were, when you interviewed him you interviewed him inside the the front cabin of the yeah. peace basher and they are super high tech aren't they i've been in one as well yeah, oh yeah. they're not just high tech they're really comfy and really warm yeah yeah certainly i mean i wasn't there in the middle of, i met him at the end of his shift at um, kind of nine in the or actually eight in the morning uh but um but yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're very comfortable. I think they'd have to be, wouldn't they? Because, I mean, you're sitting down. Uh, he did say, you know, in the winter this year, I've had some, you know, incredible blizzards. And you're obviously out there, you know, working in all of that. So you think it's cold when you're out there skiing. But uh, yeah, in those cabs, very comfy. You wouldn't want to break down, though. 
Coming up next time on the Ski Podcast, I'll be reporting back on, on what industry leaders are talking about Listex, and we'll be having a look at what it's like to train as a ski instructor. Ian, thank you very much for joining me. As always, I really enjoyed that report, and I'll see you next time. No problem, Jim. Thanks very much. Uh, enjoy Listex. I hope there's not too much GDPR for you. Oh, what's GDPR? <laughs> ah, well, you can tell us all about it when you come back. <laughs> oh, no. Do I, need, do I need to know before I get there? Nope. G, um, good. Uh, I'll work it out. Cheers. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>That was the Knowledge is Powder podcast. It was hosted by Jim Duncan and Ian Martin. It was edited by me, Jim, and the music was by FreeFX and Ben Sound.